Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, John Liu, who covers my beloved Winnipeg Jets for TSN, also covered the Montreal Canadiens for over a decade. Uh, thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time, John. How's it going? Uh, great, thanks. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Alex. I first want to ask a little bit about your career. When did you first think you might want to pursue a career in, in, in sports journalism? Uh, well, as far as uh, dreams are concerned, probably since I was a kid. I was always a big uh, hockey, baseball fan, um, collected cards when I was a kid, uh, uh, had designs on um, you know working in the business, like play-by-play, that sort of thing, you know, like Howard Cosell. Mm. Uh, back in the day but uh, um, life sort of takes in different directions and it wasn't until I was you know much later in my adult years after going through university and graduating from university and going into a different career that I um, decided that uh, I, I wanted a change in direction and chose to go back to school and study journalism and at the time I had uh, focused on news because there we were a lot more opportunities in news, but uh, sports has always been um, a love of mine, a passion of mine from uh, from the time that I was a child. And so, uh, when I was in I uh, when I was in journalism school, uh, I had applied for an internship with TSN, and uh, while I was in my second year of of college here in Winnipeg, and uh, uh, I was awarded the internship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had already been hired by CTV Winnipeg to do part-time news reporting while I was still going to school. So uh, my new employers had uh, were gracious enough to um, say, go have a great experience, go to Toronto, um, learn all you can in a national newsroom. And so I went, did my internship. And at the end of it, um, uh, I left a demo tape from some of my college stories and the work that I had done with CTV Winnipeg. And uh one thing led to another. Uh, the right people watched the tape, uh, liked my work and uh, what they had grown accustomed to for me working in the newsroom for several weeks as an intern. And uh, so, yeah, they gave me an audition. And in the space of about, I guess, 24 hours at the end of my internship, which was in February of 2000, uh, I got hired by TSN. So moved back or went back to Winnipeg, just took care of a few things to uh, with respect to with my college program and uh, finished up my semester, then moved to Toronto in March of 2000 and uh, been with TSN ever since. And at the time when you were at TSN, I know you mentioned that you were in the newsroom. Was was your goal, you, you said earlier, maybe play-by-play? Was that something um, that you wanted or, and, or was it kind of what you became more of ringside and kind of analysis pre and post game and stuff like that? Well, to be honest, uh, when I finished up my internship, I had no intention of applying for a job. I only left the demo tape there as more to keep in touch. You know, wow. like it's like, well, let's uh, keep in touch over the you know if something comes up over the years or as time goes by, um, then uh, let's uh, let's talk. But the thing is, because I'd already had uh, a part time gig in in Winnipeg while I was finishing up my program. I thought, well, I'm just going back to Winnipeg to to finish up what I was in the midst of doing, and uh, and continue my my career what I expected would be in news side, and uh, so no, I when I left TS or when I was uh, finishing up my internship, I I still didn't feel like I was applying for a job, and uh, it just so happened there was a vacancy, and 
just you know sometimes yeah. life throws a major curveball at you and that's what happened in that instance that uh, the opportunities was there uh the the gentleman who hired me uh saw well, like the potential that he saw in me and uh the the samples that i had provided on my demo tape and so um yeah it was an opportunity of a lifetime and and so i jumped at it and i know you're in toronto for i think five six years and then and then you went to the habs beat for for where you were for around 15 years what was it like covering like the habs for so long and how how was your french when you got there well um growing up in in winnipeg i uh took french classes not french immersion um so i had what i would consider a, a working knowledge of french by the time i got into university but didn't speak any french probably for about 15 years um by the time that I moved to, uh, my wife and I moved to Quebec. And um, so it became a learning process there, just uh, partly through attrition, but also watching French television, listening to French radio, reading papers and those sorts of things. So um, it's not as easy when you're an adult to learn, pick up a language as it is when you're a kid. So um, I, I I feel like my, my language, my French language skills improved while I was out there. I don't consider myself bilingual. But uh, but still, it's, uh, the experience was a tremendous one. I was there for we were there for 15 years, and uh, um, being able to uh, live in the most I think the most unique part of North America because there is no place in Canada or United States that is like Quebec as far as it's uh, being uh, you know if you want to consider you could describe it as a distinct society with the language and culture and population uh, composed how it is and so it was uh, it was a really great experience and getting to cover the most storied franchise in well in professional sports quite frankly some people might argue that fact but let's be real it is the most storied franchise in sports and um so uh it was it was a really incredible experience so i was very great i'm very very grateful that i had the chance to do that for as long as i did was but, there any uh, was there any moment that really stuck out for you from your experience in covering the Habs uh, in Montreal for for over fifteen years? Um, I I can't identify a moment. I was there for fifteen years, so yeah. that's yeah. that's a long time, and that's a lot of experiences. It's more the the totality of living there. Um, that's uh, you know just the the day to day life. The um, the change of seasons, uh, literal seasons, but also uh, hockey and football uh, in and of itself. That's uh, there's a, there's a pulse and there's a um, um, a uniqueness to life in Quebec. That's that to me is that's something that's always going to be uh, that's always going to resonate as as, as an experience. Something that's uh, that again, I was very grateful to to be able to live in for as long as I did. Now, having said that, if the Canadians won a Stanley Cup, well, then I would instantly say that yes, it was that was uh, a, a a memorable event or or series of events mm-hmm. to be able to to be able to cover. But uh, but because my time in Montreal, the covering on my my main beat uh, covering the canadians was such a roller coaster they would go from uh successful seasons to absolute disasters mm-hmm. um it really kind of blends into one um i guess continual mm-hmm. experience that that just comprises the beat uh but i mean yeah i mean they obviously they did go to a cup final while i was there but 
that being in the pandemic year, it was um, what I'll remember about that is that it was an incomplete uh, experience and that's um, we weren't traveling because of the restrictions uh, at the border. There was no practical way for me to be able to go to Vegas or Tampa to cover the the visiting side. So we had reporters, other TSN reporters who who would go and cover the visiting games, the road games for the Canadians while I covered the uh, the home games at the Bell Center, mostly in well, I, mostly empty buildings because the capacity was only five thousand um, in a twenty one thousand seat venue. And um, and not being able to go on the road, it really diminished the experience because it was, uh, you know, watching the games on television at home and then reporting on it. Um, it it's not it's not the full meal deal. So mm -hmm. even though they did, the Canadians did go as far as they as they were able to uh, against most pretty much everybody's expectations or predictions mm -hmm. uh it still wasn't a complete experience which was unfortunate but that was just the uh the circumstances uh, that's uh that we as a society as a globe as a planet we're uh, we're living through in that particular time and time in history mm -hmm. i, I want to ask about your decision to to come back to winnipeg uh, to work for tsn i know you said it was a dream come true and you had tears of joy when you found out you were coming back home. What has it been like covering the Jets this year for you? Uh, well, first and foremost, it's, 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 it was a promotion for me to come back, to be able to host the Jets broadcasts on TSN. So that was my primary motivation because mm -hmm. I've been wanting to, to take on those duties as the next step in my career for a number of years now. And so this it was a perfect, it was a perfect opportunity um, to, uh, to grow my career it just so happened that the bonus was that it's uh, it was in my hometown. And I honestly didn't think that I would ever get the opportunity to move back to my hometown to work with, with TSN, simply because my predecessor, Sarah Oleski, I, I thought Sarah was going to retire here. You know, I mean, she's from here and this is her uh, this is her her backyard as well. Um, but when she accepted the job with the Jets, that created a once in a lifetime opportunity for me as well. And so I jumped at it and uh, I still had to go through the process of applying for the position and being interviewed and uh, waiting for the process to unfold uh, for um, my superiors to assess the candidates that uh, that had applied, that they were interested, that they wanted to see who was out there. And that's absolutely fair. Of course, that's, you know, why wouldn't they do their due diligence? But ultimately, I was extremely grateful that uh, that they decided to to that I was the one to, uh, to come here. And it's, uh, I feel like it's worked out great. I've absolutely loved, uh, doing the Jets broadcast. It's a lot of fun. It's exactly what I wanted to do and, and getting to do, um, what I had envisioned has turned out to be, uh, to be exactly what I was hoping for. We have a great crew, uh, very dedicated, passionate and knowledgeable viewership. And, uh, it's a smaller, fan base than the two cities that I that I worked in previously but having said that uh, the qualities did I just listed about Winnipeg hockey fans you know absolutely they they stack up against any hockey fans in the world in terms of you know their knowledge and their uh, their understanding and, and appreciation of the sport just a different 
characteristics of the fan base and the size, of course. But uh, yeah, so I really, really enjoy uh, how plugged in and how connected and devoted the fan base is here. Uh, and the fact that I'm amongst family and friends, lifetime friends from school and mm-hmm. previous career and uh, sports and other hobbies that's that were part of growing up here. Those people are all here. So, uh, so yeah, the experience of being back home has turned out to be, uh, yeah, about, well, um, about as great as I thought it would be. So I've been, I've been very lucky. That's, that's awesome to hear. I, I want to ask what, what do you love? Like you've clearly to- told us how much you love your new job. What do you love about it? And, and what's your process like for being an in-game host compared to what you were doing before in, in Montreal and in Toronto? Well, um, it allows me to expand my broadcast uh, abilities because as a reporter, uh, you know, your segments are going to be a much, much smaller. Um, that's your uh, what you're asked to do isn't as extensive, but obviously anybody who watches Sports Center or any broadcasts, uh, well, I mean, hosts get to run the show. You know, that's uh, that you uh, it calls on a different uh, or it calls on an expanded skill set over and above what reporters do and uh you know i felt that that was that was uh that was the next uh the next step that i wanted to take and uh so in terms of presentation and preparation and planning um you know there's a whole lot more that goes into it uh because uh as a reporter you're working with a much smaller team so to speak there are fewer individuals involved than um in delivering what a reporter will do, but with uh, with the broadcast, it's an entire crew, you know, uh, that we're we're delivering a show every well, several times a week, or well, depending on whether we go on the road or well, I don't go on the road, not right now, maybe next season. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's uh, it's like putting on a performance mm. every game because there are so many people involved. And uh, we follow a protocol because people want consistency. And uh, I feel like our crew, uh, they're so dedicated and professional and talented that I feel like we deliver a really good show. So uh, it's a real blessing to be involved in that. And um, it's been a learning experience for me. Pretty much every game is a learning experience because it's very new for me. And so I've made plenty of mistakes along the way uh this season but uh but overall i feel like i've uh managed to to get better from uh from day one and that's uh, that's all i can ask of myself as someone as someone who watches your your pre and uh, post game and during um in-game hosting i've, I've really enjoyed it so i think thank I think you it's, you've been great to, to the broadcast and it's, it's been awesome to have you on this year i know i know you've talked before about asian hate um, just to move a little bit forward um, in the past on your social media. And what has your experience as a sports journalist, hockey journalist, you know, covering football as well, been like as as a Canadian of Asian descent? Uh, well, for the most part, it's been a very positive or, or that people don't even make an issue of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... Uh, a, Basically, it, in my view, it's like, well, in a broadcast or in a network, um, it, it behooves it behooves the uh, the the 
management who who hire uh who choose individuals to to represent their network um it's uh it, it behooves them to to make sure that their uh that their their cast their crew you know like people whether they're in front of the camera or not that's uh the the uh, the individuals that represent their company are representative of what our population is in this country and that's pretty much every nation in the world is represented here and so um i'm really proud that i'm able to to represent asian people you know um china korea japan southeast asia if you want to con uh, uh, include the entire part of uh, of the globe in that regard. Um, I, I take that uh, very seriously because I've had uh, people of Asian descent come up to me many times over the years and say how how important it is to them that somebody who looks like them represents them, um, that in essence, in essence speaks for them, um, at times advocates for them, um, because uh, you know, let's face it, there's there's a whole there's all a ton of racism out there and there it, since the pandemic started it's gotten much worse uh in uh, well i can only speak so much for our backyard like for canada united states when you read about the you know, number of incidents of uh asian people being assaulted or um uh being abused because of you know political um motivations that were that were calling negative attention uh, or laying blame with uh, with Asian people, and so it's um, uh, to me it just makes what I do I think that much more important. Um, just because uh, uh, doesn't matter what nationality you are, everybody everybody that's represented has to have um, uh, positive role models or positive representatives, people that uh, um, that you know individuals of color. Um, or, or sexual orientation, uh, you name it, that they have to have individuals that they can look to and say that, okay, um, I can succeed too, that, uh, that I can, um, uh, that they're, that they're good, uh, that they're, they're success stories that, that they can use as inspiration or help them feel better if they're going through rough times. And, uh, so I don't know. I'm not sure if that really answers what you're asking uh, because it's a really complex subject. And uh, uh, but having said that, uh, me personally, the uh, I've experienced isolated uh, incidents of racism um, over the years, and so it's uh, it's not surprising just because there is that element in society that's out there, um, and. Uh, you know, you try to you try to deal with it as um, I guess as uh, as gracefully as possible, but it's not easy. You talk to anybody, uh, any bike park individual, whatever, and it's uh, you know it's a mm -hmm. it's it's a real challenge, and it's uh, part of uh, living uh, in North America. That's you know it's always going to be there, so you just try to find uh, the best way of dealing with it. But it's important to have people to that are in your corner, whether they're allies um, or your own uh, people who are of your own descent and heritage that uh, that support each other, and so that's why you know my representation for my community, I feel, becomes more important as the years go by. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I, I wanted to to ask you before we go to the Jets, 
what what advice would you give to to young journalists coming up in the sports media industry? Uh, well, it's changing. The industry is changing so much. Uh, and that I, I'm talking about, you know, the traditional form of media being newspapers. That's an industry that's really going through very difficult times. And, and is we've seen so many um, longstanding uh, publications that were pillars of their community that they 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 downsize or they go under. And so much more of uh, sports media is based in the digital world. And so my advice would be uh, to make yourself as versatile as possible. You know, be be as strong in all forms of media as you can. First and foremost, writing, because fundamentally, all journalism starts with writing. I don't care if you're working print media or not. If you're not a good writer, if you're not a sound writer, then, you know, work on it. Because to me, it's that that's that is the most fundamental skill and ability within the profession. Um, secondly, ideally, learn how to do it right. You know, learn, go to school and learn journalistic ethics, uh, proper style, how to interview principals, uh, because um, journalism is a funny industry simply because there's no there's no watchdog. There's no ombudsman that holds media outlets to account. So there's a lot of irresponsible practice that goes on within the media industry. And, you know, media as a whole is under fire. Um, and again, through political forces and, uh, you know, uh, agenda driven people that's um, that are trying to tear it down, that are trying to undermine uh, the fabric of, uh, of of a free press, which is fundamental to a democratic society. And so to me, it's like, well, if you're going to be a part of this industry, well, then learn how to do it properly, like learn how to be responsible and fair and balanced and uh, stick to those principles and um, be prepared to have tough skin, because as the years go by, um, again, political forces that are trying to that are trying to undermine the credibility and the strength of journalism are working against us. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, be prepared for a rough ride because uh, I'm only talking about, I'm talking about uh, the, 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 the media from a news gathering and news reporting uh, uh, perspective. We in the sports business don't feel it to the same degree because I mean, we're not, we're not reporting on, uh, on life or death. Um, this is still entertainment and recreation and it's fundamental core. Uh, but media is being lumped into the same category. It doesn't matter what you report on. The changing attitudes towards journalists um, does make it a more uh, difficult industry to work in simply because there's less uh, there's less um, uh, less trust, less less uh, respect and regard for uh, for people in the business and what they do, less patience for it. So that's what I would tell any any young aspiring reporter is that uh, you know be prepared for these realities because uh, it's becoming more pronounced, more extreme as the years go by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very, very well said. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I I, I want to now go to the Jets, that the team that you cover day to day as we've mentioned they're they're obviously on a knife's edge right now of sneaking into the playoffs or barely missing out 
Um, they've been sliding for a couple months now, but they've had these two em- emphatic wins over Detroit and New Jersey. And their most important game of the year against Calgary, and probably if the winner of that game makes the playoffs uh, uh, in that game on Wednesday, uh, how important it is is it for the city of Winnipeg and, and just this team to make the playoffs this year? Is this maybe their last kick of the can with this kind of core group? That's a pretty pervasive feeling in the market. Uh, and again, you go back to how plugged in and how uh, knowledgeable the fan base is. You can't fool them here. You, you know, people aren't uh, people. Fans here are very astute. They follow the team very closely, very, you know, very uh, passionately and devotedly. And everybody knows that uh, 2024 is going to be whether whether we get there or not. Uh, and the current composition is intact. Uh, when you have the foundation of that team, starting with Connor Hellebuck and then your two longest standing Jets and Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley uh, as UFAs uh, in the summer of 2024, and then Pierre-Luc Dubois, depending on what's, what he chooses to do um, with his RFA status as of July 1st this year, <clears throat> or what the club what the club offers him or tries to extend to him. Uh, there are some fundamental pieces uh, depending on how this is handled. It could uh, set the trajectory of this club for the next half a dozen years mm-hmm. or more. Um, and so this off season, uh, Kevin Shovel day off is going to have his hands full. Um, there are some really uh, big and tough decisions that's probably need to be done before they get to July 1st. That if we're talking draft week, which with all the GMs in one location tends to be a fertile ground for, um, for large transactions, impactful moves, then yeah, I, I think that uh, we are in for a very interesting summer and one where I think the club absolutely has to um, decide what direction it's going to take and make decisions that uh, uh, ideally, if they can, if they, if they can control the outcome based on those decisions, rather than uh, rather than make moves that are reactionary, then they'll be much better for them. Because the fact is, the Jets are not going to draft high this year. Um, they uh, they don't have a ton of of UFAs coming up this summer. But the fact is, they need to set the table and the foundation for next year. And um, so how, what they do uh, with the remainder of the season, whether they make it into the playoffs and if they do, how far they go, um, how do they look in the process, like who performs, who's, who, 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 set, who steps up and shows that they are the types of individuals that they want to re-sign or continue with or commit to whatever you want to, however you want to describe it. That's all going to become clear in the next month. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, maybe sooner. If they don't make the playoffs, then it'll be sooner. But um, now, uh, this Wednesday, it's going to be a fascinating game because that's it's not going to it's not going to completely determine the outcome of the season. There's will still be for for both clubs. There'll be four games left yeah. after that. But for now, the Jets still control their fate. They uh, they. They are they are the team that's in the playoff position, and so it's up to Calgary and Nashville to try to catch them if they can. But for the moment, the Jets control their destiny, but they can really go a long ways towards uh, 
Mm -hmm. I kind of, I want to ask you like the, the jets have been had such a great start to the year and they've been sliding of late, although they played better recently. What do you think was the biggest reason for their kind of poor stretch of play really the past month or two? Was it the defense, the forwards, the goaltending, maybe even the coaching? Well, um, I just think that every season has its ebb and flow. And it just so happened that this year with the Jets, it happened to uh, take a much more dramatic turn. Now, that usually you see um, peaks and valleys that are that are fairly uh, that aren't as that, that aren't as severe, that aren't as dramatic. Um, when you take a look at where and how the team was starting to slip, um, it coincided with players like team leaders that's that their plays started to fall off. And we've heard clues from Rick Bonus when he would, I mean, if we go back to January, he said that the club when dealing with adversity was reverting to yeah. habits from, from the previous season. And in recent weeks, he's been making more comments that are alluding to the same sorts of things. Right. And so anybody who pays attention to the team has a pretty good idea of who he's talking about. Um, and, um, uh, this is where what we were talking about in your previous in our previous talking point that the club has to make some decisions about where it wants to go. Well, it has to take all of these factors into uh, into account at the end of the season. It's like, okay, well, don't just pay attention to what where they ended. It's like, how did they get there? And uh, so I think that again, um, what what Rick Bonus was alluding to, I think that had played a large role in the team falling into inconsistent play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blake Wheeler, what he something that he said last night, um, which hadn't really been addressed or acknowledged. He said that it seemed like that the club was fatigued. That's that mm-hmm. their that their schedule had had sort of caught up with them. Um, and and he said, oh, he said it, and then he said, well, that's not to use it as an excuse because every club has got to go through its own. Yeah. Uh, tribulations within in, in the schedule but um but the fact of the matter is that if in fact that is a contributing factor and fact is this week is not a strenuous one next week will be they finish their season with three games in four days if they have enough um rest time spaced out over this stretch run then ideally they'll have enough gas in the tank to be able to make this final push and uh and, and get into the the playoffs uh, playing the way that we saw them perform in the better part of the season, you know, like the first 50 games or so. But um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, the old bad habits crept in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that contributed to an overall loss of confidence. And I think that confidence is such a funny thing, whether it's individual or collective, uh, that um, once you lose it, it's hard to get it back. And so it takes the right type of success in small doses like we saw on Friday, for instance, um, and that's, uh, that helps them get it back. But yeah, Sunday was a much, it, it was a, it was more of a statement win for them. Mm-hmm. So ideally they'll have gotten past these issues that have been dragging them down over the last quarter of the season and um, that they'll go into the playoffs on a high, but certainly uh, from an X's and O standpoint, I think really what helped them, was the reconfiguration of their front lines, putting Mark Shifley at right wing on the first line, um, 
Vlad Nemesnikov seems to have a very good uh, rapport with with Nikolai Ehlers and Blake Wheeler. We certainly his last two games, and yes, yeah, small sample size, but small number of games left. And so, if this is a winning formula um, at this point in time, then stick with it, run with it, and see how far it takes them. If if the Jets do make it into the playoffs, how much confidence do you have in them making some noise in the playoffs? Depends on the opponents, first round opponent, because obviously every every opponent's just going to entail a different type of matchup. Um, if they are going to the playoffs consistently at this level, like playing um, a more connected, unified system, like what Rick Bonus had been trying to implement since the beginning of the campaign, then I think that they could. I, I think they'd be a handful for uh, for any any opponent, whether it's enough to to beat Vegas, L.A., Edmonton, or Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota, mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, they're all obviously very different teams, and again, present prevent uh, present different challenges in in those matchups. But I think that the Jets playing at their best, I think they can match up against any opponent. Um, and the fact of the matter is that when they were playing. At a uh, playing, playing to their potential, they were competing for second place in the central division for almost the entire season. They mm-hmm. were very briefly in first place in the conference. Yeah, it was a cup of coffee, but even so, that was an endorsement for what was going right for them, what they were doing right, and with uh, with all the proper pieces in place. And that's the other thing too is that they're going into the playoffs at this point about as healthy as they can be. Yeah, that they, uh, uh, yeah, everybody is dinged up at this time of year. If if you're not, then you're not trying hard enough, or you haven't been through the worst course of the season. So they they go into the playoffs only missing Cole Perfetti, and Perfetti has has no NHL playoff experiences anyhow. So how he would have been able to, how he would have been able to play in these circumstances, I guess we won't know because it seems like he won't he won't be back. Yeah. in time for first round or even through a first round and he's still facing a long rehab simply because he's not even on hasn't even been on the ice yet mm-hmm. so uh for all intents and purposes this this is um about as healthy a jets team as as you could hope for going into this stage of the season and so um yeah as long as they stay that way and as long as they keep um maintaining or improving upon the play we saw from them over the weekend i think that they have a pretty good chance of uh at the very least, to matching up well and uh, winning a first round, and then see where they go after that. The, the 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 Jets' best player probably this year has been Josh Morrissey, and he's been almost a point of game player essentially all year, a Norris Trophy candidate. What do you think he's done this year in his game to make him so effective this year? Well, I think it's uh, we go back to the off season, and Rick Bonus talked about it early in the campaign when Josh Morrissey was really he had really elevated his uh, his level of play and it's that rick bonus really um helped press the right buttons that he um he encouraged uh josh to to really um, believe that he could be a norris trophy candidate and in addition to the fact that uh that 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 bonus and the coaching staff want demand their defense to join the rush to activate on offense, and so that plays right into Josh Morrissey's skill set. He's a tremendous skater, really 
smart passer, very adept puck handler, good vision, good IQ. And uh, so I think that's, um, he always had the natural talent to be able to do it, but having a coach that challenged him to up his game and then provided him with the system and the, uh, the, the framework for him to be able to succeed, that's been behind his, uh, his success this year. And another player that's been amazing as usual for the Jets has been Connor Hellebuck. What do you think makes him such a special and fantastic goalie? Um, well, I, the talent is obvious. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm only covering, this is my first year covering him. So I really can't say mm -hmm. I haven't witnessed what is, what is his, his process is like, but any great goalie is, has uh, tremendous preparation habits um, in terms of, you know, the physical, mental uh, aspects of his game, um, how he keeps a book on shooters around the league, like studying um, opposing players' tendencies, like what to expect, uh, you know, so, so yeah, some of the tactical part of it. I don't know that about Connor, but I just, uh, just in observing, you know, how he, uh, how he prepares, um, that he's a very locked in individual, very mentally tough um, from a physical standpoint, his preparation. Uh, he is, um, he's very durable. And I think that speaks to probably, well, you know, like his fitness regimen, mm -hmm. uh, nutrition, all the aspects that go into a healthy lifestyle uh, because it's such a demanding position, especially for a guy that plays as much as he does. And he's really a throwback that way. Like the, the type who will play, he could, if you could, if you'd let him, if a coaching staff let him, he, he plays 70 games consistently every season. Um, uh, I covered Kerry Price for his entire career and he would have carried that workload for the entire, for the entirety of his career as well, had injuries not derailed and now probably prematurely ended his career. Um, but in Pellebach's case, the guy just doesn't miss time. He doesn't get injured. And he he's able to deliver performances at a, uh, at a high level, regardless of his workload. So, I mean, he's really a special goalie that way because there aren't very many of them in the league anymore that can take on that kind of workload and still play at that high a level. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, all the intangibles, pride, um, commitments, uh, competitiveness, you see all of that in him. And... Um, when the Jets were going through this slide or this rough patch over the last quarter season, um, you could see that that Hellebuck's numbers started to inflate as well. And I, I could see that fans were on his case saying it's like, oh, you know, he's not making stops when he should. And it's like, well, even if he wasn't, what are the defensive zone coverage look like? What were the what were the high danger opportunities looking like? Uh, what, what were the numbers in terms of uh, of, of slot shots? You know, it's like their defensive coverage really wasn't very good. Their structure wasn't there. So no goalie is going to look good under those circumstances. And the fact of the matter is, is that if Connor Hellebuck hadn't played as well as he had through the first 50 games of the season, the Jets wouldn't even be in a playoff position right now. You know, because he would have been good for at least, you figure, half a dozen wins, if not more, from his performances. So, you know, people that's ripping Connor Hellebuck over the last month, two months, it's like, well, be careful what you wish for.
because yeah. once he's gone, whenever that may be, um, who's he, who's going to replace him? You know, and then you know, you don't just snap your fingers and replace a Connor Hellebuck or a Carey Price, um, and um, yeah. So if the Jets are going to progress uh, through the playoffs, they make if they make the playoffs, and if they're going to progress through it, it's like, well, yeah. I mean, it starts it ends with Connor Hellebuck, so he's going to have to be at his best. And early in the season, he was saying it that this is the best he's ever played in his career. So if he can finish in that uh, in that trend and continue it through the postseason, then uh, yeah, the Jets can, the Jets will go as far as Connor Hellebuck is is able to take them. I don't think any team uh, is excited to see Connor Hellebuck in a, in a playoff series. So that's, that's definitely for sure. Um, thanks so much, John, for, for coming on and taking the time to talk about your career, the jets and much more. I just wanted to, before I let you go, is there anything you want to plug for TSN or anything kind of listeners should keep their eyes and ears open for with you at TSN and, and the jets? Just the final two games of the season are the, 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 the games the, uh, next week, Tuesday and Thursday in Minnesota and Colorado. I hope that they're going to be as impactful and as important as we believe they will be. Um, but still, I mean, either one of those teams could be the Jets' first-round opponent, too. So they're very compelling games, and uh, those will be the final two broadcasts of the uh, of, uh, of our TSN regionals. And, yeah, so please tune in and enjoy. We love bringing them to you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I, I can definitely say that I love your uh, broadcast for TSN, um, and it's great to have you come from uh, Montreal to Winnipeg this year and have you on the broadcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure, Alex.